If you got a Bible, go to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Tricked you there. Ephesians chapter 4. I, I want to show you the very first verse in the book of Ephesians. If you got a Bible, I'll give you a second there. We're a church kind of into the Bible, so uh, bring, your, bring your Bible to church. It's kind of a good idea. If you don't got one, uh, you can pull it up on your phone. If not, I'm going to read it, and we're going to jump off from this verse. So there's a guy named Paul, and he used to hate Christians and want to kill a bunch of Christians. He had a radical encounter with Jesus, literally knocked him off of his donkey onto his backside and radically changed his life. He went from being a guy who hated Christians to a guy who's in love with Christ and planted churches that a big part of the reason you're here is because Paul was a guy who primarily spread the gospel to people who were non-Jewish, and that's most of us, all right? So this Paul, while he was in prison, nonetheless, he wrote these words to a church who was going through things, experiencing things, trying to figure out what did it look like to allow my faith to have an encounter with my life, and is there a difference between faith and life and life and faith, or is life faith, or is faith life? What, what, what is it? And Paul wrote them these words, Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Today we're going to unpack a lot about what in the world Paul is talking about there. And as I was prepping and praying this week, I came across this passage and it really kind of had this conundrum in my spirit kind of moment because I was like, what is a life that is worthy? See, that, that word worthy is a question that maybe, or maybe not, you found yourself asking. Like, what does it look like to live a life that is worthy of Jesus? See, worthy is, is where I want to start today. There's a lot in these letters. Worthy. What in the world does it mean to be worthy? Maybe a question to ask today is, is how is your self-worth? Like, how much do you feel like you're worth? See, Paul says, okay, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Now, again, to explain a little bit of ways after there, this calling, and he's talking to Christians. The calling that you've received, if you call yourself a Christian, the calling now on your life to boil it all down to make it as simple as possible is to love God and love others. Love God, love others. That's the calling you've received. Uh, practically speaking, that means to be a disciple and to make disciples. So that's the calling you've seen, but he says, live a life worthy. Now, again, this is where we come to ourselves here in this room, online, 2021, and go, let's have a real talk moment and go, am I living a life worthy of the Jesus who gave his life for me? I'm starting out kind of guns a blazing. No funny stories about chipmunks or my kids today to open up, but a, a, kind of a heartstring question of, of do you really feel like you're living a life worthy of the calling? See, a lot of times I think when we think, okay, oh, well, how do I do that? How do I live a life that's worthy? We think, how I live a life that's worthy of the calling I've received to love God, to love others, to make disciples, to be a disciple, how I live a life that is worthy is I live my life for Jesus, right? That sounds great. If I want to live a life that's worthy of this call, that means I've got to live for Jesus. 
I've got to work for Jesus. I've got to go to church for Jesus. I've got to raise my kids for Jesus, be married for Jesus, give to Jesus, do my budget for Jesus. I've got to do these things for Jesus. But I'm in a room full of friends and family, and I think we can all be honest with ourselves enough to know that that whole for Jesus thing is tough. And we've had times where we just go, I mean, we've asked this question, is it worth it? Is this life worthy of the energy and effort and kind of the shame and guilt that I sometimes feel when I don't feel like I'm being able to live for Jesus enough? I think there's maybe a problem with for. Because when you think about doing something for somebody, it kind of implies that they're no longer in it with us, right? So if I'm, you know, think about it for like this, you know, like if you're going to run a 5K. Now some of you are like, no, nah, I'm not running a 5K. Uh, the Bible says that the wicked flee though no one chases him. So I'm not just going to run for the sake of running. Um, but a lot of times when people run 5Ks or they give to charities or whatever else like that, a lot of times they're saying, well, I do this for my mom. My mom died of breast cancer, so I'm going to run this 5K in honor of my mom. I'm going to do it for her. Or, 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 you know, maybe you had a, a grandma and she just made the world's best biscuits and gravy. And so every year on her birthday, you're like, man, I'm making biscuits and gravy for grandma. And a lot of times when we do something for somebody, we're doing it because they're dead. The problem with this in our faith is we don't serve a Jesus who is dead. We serve a Jesus who's alive. And, and this is the problem when we just go, hey, I want to live a life worthy of God, so I'm going to live my life for him. It leaves him on the cross. He's just, Jesus, I'm going to, well, because you did so much for me, I'm going to live my life for you. So what I want to talk to you today is what if there's a better option, and it sounds crazy, what if there's a better option than living your life for Jesus? The life I want to invite you into is a life that will still I have a lot of things that are done for Jesus. But what I want you to understand is impossible to live life for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. It's impossible. It's impossible to live a life that is for Jesus and will be counted as worthy if we don't first live a life that is with Jesus. So write that down. It's impossible to do life for Jesus if you don't do life with Jesus. Now, I'm going to try to do my best for the remainder of our time today to unpack the difference between a life that is for, because this really isn't necessarily the goal. When we think about worthy, what's a life that's worthy? A life that is worthy is a life that is with Jesus. What's a life that's worthy of Jesus? It's a life that's with Jesus. Because we don't just serve a God who went to the cross, stayed there, and then we're just going to follow after all of his principles. That's every other world religion. Well, that guy, you know, whether it was John Smith or Buddha, whatever, they went and they did their thing, and then they died and they stayed dead. The difference between every other world religion and, and Christianity is we have a God who rose again that we can put hope in and that he promised by the power of his Holy Spirit that he would live in us and be with us. And I love this passage. It's First uh, John 5, 12, one of Jesus' absolute best friend, uh, the guy who was over and over again described as a disciple whom Jesus loved. He was probably like, if you just read through the Gospels, you see him as being the one who is most with Jesus. And he wrote this, whoever has the son, it's such a simple verse, you don't even need to see it to memorize it. Whoever has the son has life. Let's say it together. Whoever has the son, all right, let's try again. Okay, I'm going to say it, then you say it. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. 
That's so simple. Every, the fourth grader in the room is like, yeah, I made sense. Jesus equals life. No Jesus equals death. So if I have Jesus, that means he's with me, I have him, we're together with life. If I don't, it's not it. And that is exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make in this passage here as he's turning through the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about this is this blessed life that God comes to offer. This is what righteousness really looks like. And he talks to a room full of people who are trying to figure things out as far as what it meant to, to have the favor of God and what it meant to have a God who loved me and cared for me. And they look around at everybody around them and when they think uh, the person that God smiles upon or that the person is blessed, they think about the righteous and religious leaders of their day, these scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and these religious teachers. And they would look at these guys, these rabbis of sorts, and they would look at them and because of how they kept these deeds and how they interpreted scripture, and they would go, that's the type of person who's getting in. And Jesus, in this sermon, he flips the whole thing on his head and said, no. Just as it is impossible to live a life that is for God without being with God, it is possible to do things for God and not be with him. And when he's talking about all these religious leaders, he's saying that is exactly what they're doing. And so when they're giving to people, which is a for God thing, I'm giving, look at what I'm doing, I'm doing this for God, when really God knows their heart, God knows their motives, they're just giving so that people notice how much they're giving. And then when they're praying, and they got their big prayer shawls and they're just flapping those wings like we talked about last week. And they're praying in front of the people and everybody hears how loud and eloquent and, and just out in the street corners their prayers are. They go, man, those prayers are so awesome. Man, I just wish I could pray like that. That guy is so holy, so righteous. God's going, you're doing something for me. You're praying to me, but you're not with me. And so what I believe he's trying to show us here is what's so fascinating in the scripture is that he enters onto the scene, stands on this hillside. Actually, he sits down to give his lesson. And you know one of the names that the Bible gives Jesus? You know, you hear it a lot at Christmas time. It's Emmanuel. You know what the word or the name Emmanuel means? God with us. It's Jesus' way of saying, you can try your best to live a life for God, but if you don't live it with God, this God who is now, like, again, so much different than any other God. Not just set up there, set some rules and said, you do this, and if you do good enough at the end of your life, you can climb the ladder up to me. But a God who said, I'm going down the ladder and to a cross so that I can give my life for you to be with you and show you that I'm with you here forever, that's the type of God he is. And so, <clears throat> for us, now we begin to go, okay, what in the world does it look like to, with, uh, to, li- to live, not a, necessarily a for-God life, First and foremost, a with God life. What I want to talk to you today, and this is where we're going to you know, move into prayer, is the most, most centrifugal, most powerful with God thing that you can do is not come to church. It's not give. It's not even necessarily look like a video we showed you guys last week of somebody being in the waters and baptizing somebody. The most with God thing that you can do is to pray. Prayer is the most powerful, most simple Yet at the very same time, the absolutely most difficult thing that you can ever do with your life. But it is where living a with God life actually starts. And Jesus, in this passage that we're going to dive into a little bit later today, is what he gets into. Now, you hear something like that and you go, okay, like I want to live this with God life. I want to live my life with, with Jesus and, and that's what I'm all after and that's what I want to do. Um, it's still kind of hard, right? <laughs> I'm going to pray. Now, again, we're going to talk about prayer today. Everybody in the room, like... Let's just poll. Um, we're going to get a little charismatic. We're going to raise some hands in the middle of a sermon. It's going to be awesome. 
Okay, so raise your hand if you would like to have a, uh, a prayer life where you prayed more deeply and more consistently. Okay, Almost, that's, that's pretty much everybody, okay? And there's a very few things in 2021 that you can get 100% agreement on, okay? But everybody in this room, and probably the folks watching online, they're giving a little like button if, you wanted, if you're online you're agreeing with this. Every single one of us would go, I want to pray more deeply and more consistently. And, and again, like, take a second and look around, but don't look too long. Like if you're in the room, if you're on the chat, just kind of scroll through. I bet you'll find somebody who has at least a few gray hairs, which means for some of them, they've been following Jesus for a while. So what that means is tenure does not necessarily just equal that I'm just walking in perfect unity and serenity with my Lord and Savior. No, even the oldest, most following Jesus for the longest time, Christian in the room or online is going, I want to go deeper and I want to be more consistent. So what's happening? Why is that something that we struggle with? See, I think uh, a part of why we struggle with this is because we think prayer has to be something more than it is. And I think that's what Jesus is after here because he was talking to those people who when they thought about prayer, like if, like if he said, if he would have showed up on the scene and he said, close your eyes and I want you to in your head hear what prayer sounds like, they would have only heard what a Sadducee or a Pharisee or a religious leader with the really cool robes prayer would have sounded like. And some of you, when I say, hey, close your eyes and hear what prayer sounds like, you hear me, somebody in your community group, some grandmama, somebody who speaks your native tongue that you grew up with and you heard how they prayed and that's just kind of what you think of. But what Jesus is saying here is, take all that off the table. Prayer is you talking to a father who loves you. There's this, um, he's a monk. Um, he, he lived at a monastery, Christian monk. Um, his name is Brother Lawrence. And he wrote this really, really awesome book that I would encourage you to read if this is something that's fascinating to you that you want um, to, to get a better handle on, handle on. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. And Jesus, obviously, is the one who bursts onto the scene, this idea of witness. But Brother Lawrence was probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest helps uh, to help people just in like ordinary, normal language. He wrote a book in, I think it was like 82, uh, to help us understand what in the world does it mean to practice the presence of God. Now, this dude, Brother Lawrence, he starts out at the monastery. And at the monastery, um, he was given a lot of menial tasks to do, just kind of things like raking the grounds, you know, doing the dishes and everything else. But what was different about him, maybe than some of the other monks, is he set out to do these things in a way where he said... Um, Everybody wants to uh, very uh, over-romanticize these, these prayer moments and, and these feelings that we get when it's like, the, the Lord is in this place. Like, yes, he is, and he's everywhere. Um, and I got the tingles and all these other types of things. But Brother Lawrence set out to say, I believe that our God is omnipresent, and he's in the dishwashing. He's in me raking the leaves. And so he set out, and this is what, the, in the t- the, hence the title, Practicing the Presence of God. The presence of God is at the sink. It's at the wheelbarrow. It's everywhere. And I love one of the quotes uh, from his book, and I'll show it to you on the screen and uh, let you guys uh, put some teeth in it as well. This is what he said. He's talking about prayer specifically here. He said, we ought to act with God in the greatest simplicity, which that should just give us all a sigh of relief, that a monk, a person who's like, their whole job is to pray, essentially, says, we ought to operate and talk with God with great simplicity. It's like, it doesn't have to be complicated. And uh, it gets as simple as all the stuff we talked about so far. Speaking to him frankly, 
which like some of you, like that's the only way you know how to speak. So that's really good that God's like, just be you. You're Frank. Like you should change your name. Um, you know, I'm Sue, a.k.a. Frank. Um, he said, just speaking to him frankly, plainly. He's like, you don't have to bring some varsity prayer language into a conversation with me. Just talk to me normal. And imploring his insistence. Imploring his assistance in your affairs. Saying, God, I need you. I need you to help me with this. There's no, there's no thing that's too big in your affairs. Big, small, and you know, all everything in between. God, help me with this. Help me with these kids. God, they don't know how to put their dishes in a sink. God, help me with these kids. Like, just just imploring his assistance in your affairs. I love this last part. Just as they happen. I think sometimes, you know, don't, don't go fully off the deep end of our conversation last week talking about finding this secret place and having this place where you can go and connect with God. I definitely think you should have that. But we don't just talk to God when we get in our comfy chair and we get our coffee, we just get it pour over just right, and we got our favorite mug, and we couldn't have a quiet time that day because it was in the dishwasher, and like making all excuses to get out of stuff. Like Those aren't just the moments where we get to come with God. We can come to him at any point. He says, as your affairs happen, bring them to God. Now, you may see a verse like that and go, can you put that in like normal, like I, I, I live in Henry County, speak? Yes, I can. Uh, it's one of, it's, if there, I'm a good at anything, I think it's, Simplifying things. Um, here's what I would say. Pray what you've got. That's what he's saying. Pray what you got. God's not asking you to pray some big magical thing. Pray what you've got. And I think the, that's one of the things that hinders us from being in the true with God practice of prayer is we think we have to pretty things up. God goes, no, just pray what you got. Think about it like this. Those of you who have raised children, you've experienced this, or you've really been around children or volunteered in children's ministry, you've been around a kid, and like, they just, some of them, they just really like to communicate, you know, they they just want to talk to you, especially with the little girls, man, you come and you talk to a little girl, and I'm like, stepping back, stepping back, stepping back, I'm like, squirrel, and they look, and I can run away, Um, but you start talking to a kid, and they'll start explaining things, and talking to things, and telling you these stories, and things are all over the place. And a lot of times, like, it happens a lot for us, like, in our community group. I, I love being able to hang out with the kids and talk with them. And so I'll be talking to a kid, and they'll be explaining something or telling me a story about something that goes on. And, like, I'll have to look at the parent and be like, do you know what they're talking about? Like, I have literally no idea what they just said. But what I don't do, like, as a pastor, I go, no, you're, you're stupid. Like, you cannot tell me a story. Give me the testimony of your life. Like, tell me these things. Like, I don't do that. Like, even my own kid, Titus, he's seven years old. He's still, to this day, he cannot say the word Remember to save his life. It is consistently remember. Dad, remember, remember when we played that team and we, and we were down by four runs and then we beat them? And I'm like, yes, Titus, I remember that. And the point I'm trying to make is, is when he talks like that, I don't learn how to talk. And God's the same way for us. As a loving and caring Heavenly Father, he longs for his kids just to communicate, just to talk, to bring our messed up, broken, jacked up language. And that's actually one of the roles that he said was the, one of the defining characteristics of his Holy Spirit that now is alive in us as believers, that it would interpret the things that we get wrong. And, and here's what I want you to know. Like, we can know that God's okay with us coming and being childlike and not having it all put together. We can know that... Um, if we want to really live lives that are worthy of the call of God on us, we have to live with God lives, and that comes through prayer. But at the end of the day, man, most of us still go, I, 
really just struggle with this thing that is prayer. Like husbands in the room, man, I don't think he'd ask a husband in this room if he feels like he's praying enough with his wife, he would go, yeah. I don't think if you asked a parent in this room if you felt like they were praying enough with their kids, they'd go, yeah, I feel like we're, we're, we're crushing it in that. I don't think you could ask probably any of us, hey, do you, do you feel like you're praying enough for the lost people around you that we would just be like, yeah, I don't know how I could pray anymore and get work done. And so I want to, before we get into the sermon, our, our, the, this Lord's Prayer thing, because that's kind of what we're going to do today. It's going to be a little bit different. Like, as I got into the Lord's Prayer and I started studying it and reading commentary and all this other type of stuff this week, I was just kind of looking at it and I was going like, I don't have 45 minutes worth of stuff that I can teach you about the Lord's Prayer. And honestly, that seems kind of productive. Let's just pray the Lord's Prayer. And so that's going to be the last part of the message. We're just going to spend some time in prayer together, collectively, as a church. But the reason... The reason it's hard, the reason why some of you, the prayers that you've prayed today or the first prayers you've prayed all week is because prayer is spiritual warfare. And you have an active enemy. So again, track with me. Okay, what does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling? Well, it means to live a life that is with Jesus and then for Jesus. Okay, what's the primary thing I can do to live a life that's with Jesus? Well, it's to pray. You gotta understand, worthy with And war. I think these three words or some of the secret of living a life worthy of the calling are found. See, Paul, again, this guy we're talking about, in that same verse that we pulled that Ephesians passage, two chapters back, two chapters forward, in, in chapter six of Ephesians, he enters into this thing that maybe you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you've probably heard before, where he talks about this thing called the armor of God. And he says, hey, we don't wage war against flesh and blood. We wage war against these uh, spiritual forces, these demonic principalities, these things that are unseen that you could close your eyes and you still can't see. We wage war, not against flesh and blood. People aren't the problem, but we wage war against these spiritual dark forces that are around us, all over us. And that kind of makes us nervous. And he goes through this thing. He says, okay, because there is this active enemy, he says, stand your ground. Stand your ground by putting on the, the helmet of salvation and this belt of truth and this breastplate of righteousness and these feet fitted with the readiness of God and these sword of the spirit and all these things. And then he just says, and then just stand there and chill out and wait on things to happen. No. He says, put it all on. And how we put it on, we talked about this when we went through this series last fall. It's crazy how God brings everything full circle. Last fall we did, we did a, like, I don't know, I feel like 12 weeks long series through the, uh, through the armor of God. We start out by saying, prayer is how it all gets put on. And this, this is where war happens. We fight in prayer. In Ephesians 6.18, this is what it says. Paul gets all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. And in 6.18, he says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. See, friends, if you want to fight darkness, Pray. Do you want to push back the powers and principalities? Pray. See, I, I've been in ministry long enough, and, and some of you have been around church long enough that you've seen enough brokenness, that you've seen enough fathers abandon their family, you've seen enough people overdose on drugs, you've seen enough people uh, struggle with mental illness, whether it's anxiety or depression, you've seen enough pain and heartache in this world, and you sat around and you've counseled people, 
and you go through these times or you see it on someone in your own family and you just get angry with sin. You're not angry at them. You've gotten to the place though where now you realize that there's an active evil force in their life and you hate it. And I, I've had these times where, where I've been sitting in my office and I've just wished the sh- demons that have strongholds on people were visible because it'd be easier to fight them. If they really were flesh and blood, it'd be easier just to go after them. I, I, I mean, I just, there, there are times where I just have those moments where I go, man, it'd be easier if I could punch it. It'd be easier if I could blow it up. It'd be easier if I could shoot it. It'd be easier if it was flesh and blood. And that's why Jesus says, we wage war against something that is unseen. He says, no eye has heard, or no eye has seen, no ears heard, what God has made available to those who are in him, who love him, and are called by him. And the only way we can fight an unseen enemy is tapping in to our unseen Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus and being in prayer. And this, this, is what, this is what frustrated me this week, man. Like of all the arguments to pray or to not pray, and all the things that I've heard people say, like, you know, your prayer is, you know, the amount of prayer you pray is equivalent to the power that you'll have. Your private prayer equals your public power. I've heard all of those things. And still, I've had times and seasons where I went through my life with just dry, prayerless seasons, it feels like. But there's just something, and maybe I'm I'm, I'm talking to some of the guys in the room. When you know that your lack of prayer is opening the door and giving the devil an invitation to have his way with your family and your kids, like there's something in me that now that just, you know, no, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with just, you know, skipping this, skipping that. I'm, all, I'm not okay with not praying with my wife before I go to bed. See, there's got to be this, this heartbeat that awakens when we know that every day, every week, the, 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 the long periods of time where we go without ever beseeching God, without ever just laying our lives before him and asking him to have his way and to do these things, like... The enemy is winning, and that's why it's so hard. That's why it's a struggle. That's why everything in you goes, stay in bed. Just relax. That's why everything in you goes, keep scrolling. Just scroll a little more. Just watch one more video. Those, those, those cats are hilarious. Just, just watch it. Oh, well, you got to well, reply to that text. Reply to that email. See, your phone and the data on it is not something you consume. We live in what's called an attention economy. Everything that is on your phone is not designed for you to consume it. It's designed to consume your attention. And there are a lot of things on there that are good. But I believe that all these spiritual dark forces, they use a lot of it for bad. And so what I want to do today, with the remainder of the time that we have left, is just to pray. Jesus said, hey, here's... Here's how you should pray. And we're going to walk through this Lord's Prayer. And again, man, man, even if you've never been to church before, you, you've probably heard this before, this Lord's Prayer thing. I, I'll never forget, like, I, I was on a, one of my favorite experiences ever playing baseball. I, I, was on, I was the only white kid on an all-black team. We had an amazing time. I had an amazing coach. His name was Coach King. And I'll never forget, like, he was a, he was a, a man of God. Um, he had three sons on the team, which I didn't really know how that worked. Uh, but he had three sons on the team. And then we were on the team. And I'll never forget, like, our first practice, you know, we're, we're there. And we all take a knee. I'm like, what are we, is this a drill? Like, why are we all in a circle on a knee? What's happening? And, I, again, I didn't grow up going to church. And then everybody just starts doing this Lord prayer. And the whole team had been together. Like, this was like an 8U team. And they had been together, like, 5U, 6U, 7U. And now they're 8U. And I was a new guy on the team. So I don't know what's normal. And uh, they start praying the Lord's Prayer. And, and again, 
You ever been around like kids or athletes when they're saying the Lord's Prayer in a locker room or something? It just sounds like, oh, Father. And I remember going through that and being like, what in the world is happening right here? And the only thing I can remember was power, glory, forever, amen. And I just mumbled my way through all the other stuff. And a lot of us, that's, you know, kind of our first encounters with prayer. So Jesus enters this on the which is crazy. Like, if you think about it, like just a few verses early, earlier, he's like, don't just think there's this magic prayer that you're just supposed to memorize and repeat, which that's exactly what we do with the Lord's Prayer. We just memorize it and repeat it before sports events or whatever it is, and we just kind of go through it. But Jesus gives us his prayer, not as this magic prayer to pray to get what we want, but he gives us his prayer as a template. And one of the things I want you to know about prayer, and this is what's so critical about God's word and prayer and how they mesh, is that prayers that originated in heaven, in my opinion, are most likely the prayers to be heard by heaven. And so that's why I think God invites us not to just read his scripture, but to read the prayers that we find in scripture all through the book of Psalms, Jesus' prayers. We read these prayers, read these things that he taught us how to pray, and then we pray those back up. And I believe that the prayers that started in heaven are the ones that are most likely to be heard in heaven. And so that's what we're going to do here. So if you got a Bible, go to Matthew uh, 6. We're going to walk through this together in the remainder of our time, praying together as a church family. Again, as you're turning there to um, Matthew 6, we're going to be in verse 18 is where we'll start. As you're turning there, same thing is true. Pray what you've got. God doesn't need you to beautify anything. Uh, you don't have to say anything out loud. You can say pray out loud if you want to, if that's your thing. Um, Maybe you put your phone underneath the chair, put it away, don't get distracted. Um, let's just walk through this. I'm going to kind of set up, hopefully tell you a little bit. Again, it doesn't take a whole long. This, this Lord's Prayer thing, I think Jesus put the cookies all the way down the shelf. And it made it pretty simple so that we could get it. And it could be a guide and a, a, a strategic pattern for how we should continually go to God. He said this. This is how he starts. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That's the banner over which everything that our prayer life should be about is our Father. That's God's identity. This is Jesus. And again, when he busts on the scene right here and he says, okay, here's how you should pray, fellas. Our Father in heaven. That was mind-blowing to everybody. You would only call God Adonai. They didn't, the Jewish people in that day and age, and again, that's primarily who Jesus is talking to. Jewish people, all they would call God, God's name to them was Yahweh. But they wouldn't even write that all the way out. They would not say that with their mouth. They would use this abbreviation kind of thing called Adonai, which really translated as Lord. So for him, Jesus, and again, he can do this because he's his son, he busts on the scene and says, I obviously should have this privilege because I am God with us. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I'm his son. But here's what you get to be in on. You can call him Father too. And knowing that he is your father will change everything. You'll spend the rest of your life knowing what type of father he is and what it means to be his child. And prayer is the way you'll find that out. So as you come to God in these moments, I know for some of you, man, beginning to come to God and even to call him father, like you'd rather call him Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, whatever God name you want to make up. Because when you call him father, you can't help but think about yours. And maybe it wasn't that good. But pray what you got. And if that's the truth, Tell God that's a hurdle for you. And tell him how thankful you are. That even in the worst, most broken aspects of maybe an earthly father, he's showing you what type of heavenly father he is. And talk to him now in these moments. As a child talks to a dad.
here, he said, you're, you're our Father in heaven, and hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, we don't necessarily fully grasp what that means. It's not where we use in our modern English vernacular, but it kind of takes its root. It's in the same word family as the word holy. But the difference here with hallowed is saying, hallowed be your name, which is saying that your name, God, is not in the same category with other names, and yours is just at the top. Hallowed means I'm taking this name that was at the top or sometimes may have slipped down. I'm going to take this name, and I'm going to take it and set it apart as its own. That's what the word holy meant. It's set apart. Set apart as holy. So God, when I say hallowed be your name, it's saying that your name is high and lifted up above all other names. Maybe in these moments, you confess to God the names of people who you've put over his name even if they're your own children, even if they're your wife, even if they're your husband, and even if it's your name. here Jesus told us to pray your kingdom come we talked about when we first started this series through this sermon that the kingdom of God is any place where what God wants done is done so the kingdom of God can come to your finances if in your finances it is the place where what God wants done is done then the kingdom of God will reign in your finances in your family if in your family in your parenting where what God wants done is done, then the kingdom of God has now come in your family, in your marriage, same thing. In this church, same thing. In our city, McDonough, whatever city you drove here from, if what's happening in that city is what God would want to be done in that city, then his kingdom has come there. Now, (laughs) the next part he says is uh, your kingdom come, which means like your will, like make it happen. I want what you want to be done to happen here, and your kingdom will be coming here. He says, your will be done. A lot of us in this room, myself included, we're control freaks. Your will be done. Maybe today in this moment, you you pray, God, your will be done. And you pray this really bold and brave prayer that somebody told me uh, as I was getting ready to start today. And let my will be undone. Because in order for God's will to be done in some of you guys' lives, your will is going to have to be undone. They not, that may not be pretty, but trust me, it's the path to a with God life. Talk to him. Jesus comes into this next part of how he's teaching us to pray he makes the shift from a heart of praise to now request which shows to us it's, it's okay to ask God for stuff 
that the really the, the two tracks, if you will, of our prayer life is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, help, 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 help. And sometimes <laughs> that may be the only three words you can muster. God, thank you, help. So he says here, give us today our daily bread. And everybody who heard this would have immediately thought back to the Israelites in the wilderness who got, in fact, daily bread, manna from heaven. And they all would have thought back to what happened when they tried to store it up and everything else. And it turned to rotten and it got maggots in it. And it was disgusting. Which kind of begs a question. Is there stuff that we've been storing up and hoarding and holding on to with closed, clenched fists without realizing that it is decaying and full of maggots and rot because we've quit trusting in a God to give us daily what we need and instead trusted in our own self to give us what we need. And so in this moment, ask God to give you your daily bread. And be specific. Like some of you, you have a number. Like you know what you got to have on a daily basis. That daily bread. Ask him. here he transitions uh, to our relationships with other people and our propensity to have things go wrong there because we're broken, fallen. And you can tell that in this prayer, Jesus is, uh, it's not his prayer because there are no debts of his that he should ever ask for God to forgive. He's saying, this is you guys' prayer. And he says, as it, Maybe you missed this before as you just mumbled this before a football game. He says, and forgive us our debts as. That's a dangerous word right there. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Make that simple for you. That's saying, God, forgive me as I've forgiven my mother-in-law. God, forgive me like I've forgiven my boss. God, forgive me like I forgive the person I'm divorced from. See, that's a scary prayer. Because most of us are not confident in how we've forgiven other people. And so maybe in this moment, you pray this prayer backwards in this line. And say, God, um, I need to take a second and fully release this person. And fully forgive this person. And repent of how I have thought that they owed me something. And turn to you, Jesus, as the only one who could give me what I need. And realize that this bitter unforgiveness was a poison that I was drinking and expecting it to hurt them. And now I ask you to forgive me in the way that I've forgiven them. Wholly, totally. Not forgetting it fully forgiving it. Ask him to show you who you need to forgive.
from here he begins to round out this prayer. And I love how he finishes. And I don't know why we had to add all that other stuff on there of, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus never said that. We made that up. Maybe we made that up and added that on because it felt weird to end by saying, lead us not in temptation. And to end saying the evil one. But maybe that was Jesus' whole point all along. That the key to living a, a with God life, one that's worthy of the calling, is understanding we are at war with an evil one. So here in these moments, I need you to understand that you are at war with an evil one, not just evil in general. There is an evil one who has your name written on a page of paper in the bowels of hell, who has an elaborate plan and scheme for everybody who would ever have a name on your family tree. He's got a scheme and a plan and and, and an individualized outcome for their life that God invites us into to pray for. says that through the power of your prayers, it can make a difference. Because those prayers will bend your heart so that your fingers will send those texts, make those calls, bake those cookies, spend that time, and give that. So in these moments, pray that God would deliver you from the temptation that you're facing. That he would deliver some people around you who can help you fight that temptation. He would lead you out of it you would feel him pulling you out of it. And that that deliverance, the deliverance that you've maybe been trying to do on your own, (laughs) where do we get off thinking that we can deliver ourselves? I mean, I'm very guilty of that. I'm thinking I have enough energy and effort to willpower my way out of sin. (laughs) You don't have it. I don't either. And we need each other. We need prayer. So go in these moments. Go to him. Beg him to lead you away from the temptation that you face and deliver you, not just from evil, but from the very evil one. Father God, we come now into this holy moment. And Father, with, with one voice of your, as your local body here, as McDonough Christian Church and, and those gathering online, we pray this prayer that your son Jesus taught us to pray together in unison in one voice, Father. And we pray that it is not just glorifying to you, but it is edifying to our very own souls when we, God, realize that it is not just an individual praying this prayer, but every line of everything you said in here, you said us. 
you said, give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And I pray as we hear us pray this prayer you taught us to pray. It reminds even the loneliest person in the room today or online that they are not alone. That they're part of this us. And they're part of your family. Let's pray, church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. and Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever, God. Amen. Guess what? You did it. You, you just prayed for over 15 minutes in a room full of people. Way to go. Here's what I want you to know. You can do it again. And that's the challenge this week. Um, I'll call it the monster under the bed challenge. Here's what I want you to do. Now, some of you, you're solid enough in prayer. You don't need to do this. Some of you, you got baby legs when it comes to prayer. And again, Jesus is okay with that. Pray what you got. Here's what I want you to do. Some of you, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hand, but you know who you are. Um, you keep your phone under your pillow like you're waiting for the tooth fairy to come get it at night. All right? Or you put it on a nightstand. It's somewhere right there, and it's the first thing you grab in the morning. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the phone, and I want you to put it under the bed. Here's what I want you to put under the bed. Again, put it under the bed, and then before you go to bed, I want you to get your Bible. And put it somewhere beside your bed. You can throw it under your pillow if you want. Like the God, for, <laughs> Jesus is going to happen. Sorry. Um, here's the reason I want you to put your phone under the bed. Don't throw it too far under there. You're going to have to get one of your kids to get under there with a coat hanger or something. Um, just put a little bit under your bed, far enough where you have to reach in there for it. Here's what I want you to put under your bed. I want you to put it under your bed so that before you go and touch it, you have to hit both knees. And I'm willing to bet that the Holy Spirit inside of you is powerful enough to not let you get past this posture before you pray. And hopefully you'll reach over, you'll grab your Bible off either your, uh, out from underneath your pillow or, or maybe from your nightstand right there beside your bed. You'll open it up to this passage in Mark six, or in John, uh, Matthew 6. sorry, And you'll just pray through just like you just did. Without me guiding you, without me taking you through it, but with just the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God the Father and you there in your room, you will go through this before you reach under and grab that thing out from under there. Three times. Only three. Three times. See, this is what happens when we commit to live a with God life. It means that you're going to have to do some things that are different. Again, this is what we talked about. There are going to have to be some wills that are undone if what God wills is actually done. And I believe wholeheartedly that his will for your life is that it would not start on a device. His will for your life is it would start in his word of truth. I believe it will be your bread. Everything that you need. I can't wait to see what God does in and through it. To give us, to give you the with God life that you will just rest with this, this utter confidence that you've never experienced before to go, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I, in fact, am living a life worthy 
of the call that I have now received from Jesus. As we come to a place of communion, that is the ultimate with God demonstration. That there would be God in flesh, in Jesus, who would say, I am so desperate to, one, first and foremost, to give my Father glory, but to also bring my Father his lost and dying and broken sons and daughters so that they could be with him. I'm going to trade being with him. So when you take of that cup, know that if you want to understand how much something is worth, you've got to know how much somebody's willing to pay for it. And that price for you is Jesus. And as you take communion today, I pray that you see how much that costs. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. That you didn't just teach us how to pray, but you showed us what a with God life looks like. Over and over and over again, we see you sneaking away, laying your heart out, laying your life out, hiding away at the wilderness, going to the mountainside, sending disciples on before you so that you could be with the Father. And so that you could be, when it was asked of you, one who would go all the way through with the very thing that would lead us to the Father. We thank you for the victory that's in the empty tomb. I pray that meets us in every chair, living room, dining room, car, school, and anybody who hears these words finds himself in. In your name, amen.